good morning. My name is Drew Johnson. I'm a pastor here at Calvary Spokane. My pleasure to be here. Obviously, you got the uh, got filled in by Pastor Ken that he's not here. He's in Russia. One time we did a live Skype with Ken, and I was a sound guy that Sunday, and I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> but God is good, and I'm alive still. So thank, thank you, Jesus. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land there, where there is no water. Uh, Psalm 63. I just wanted to read that for a little bit. Does that describe any of you today? Just longing, hungering for the Lord, thirsting for him like you, you couldn't live without him, wanting him more and more and more. Well, today we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Go ahead and turn there with me. Second Peter chapter 2. I'll try to find it. Sometimes I forget where it is. There we go. And go ahead and stand with me as we stand together and read the word of God. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 say, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Let us pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for today, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak uh, through me by your Holy Spirit, God, to your church, Lord, that you would speak to every single person in this room, God, that your spirit would stir us in our hearts and our minds and the depth of who we are, God, that we would long for you beyond all things, God, that we would thirst for you, that we would pant for you, that we'd be desperate for you, God, in your things, Lord, that we would not fall in the way of Balaam, God, but that we would have straight paths and walk with you because you are side by side with us, God. Be with us this morning and speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Uh, you may be seated. You guys were already sitting down before I said that. <laughs> That's all right. You could stand with me if you want to the whole time. But um, Has anybody here ever done something just for money? Anybody ever done that? Okay, I'm not alone. Anybody like me ever been in college? Uh, I didn't have a lot of money in college, but uh, somehow I scored free tickets to Disney World, which is an interesting story in and of itself. I won't go into the details there, but I, I scored some, some free tickets to Disney World, but I had to find a way to get down there, uh, which is, I mean, Disney World's where your dreams come true, so I had to get down there, right? Some of my dreams are nightmares, but I don't know what that means. I had to come up with a way to pay for food and travel. My part-time job, I was a custodian at the time, didn't produce enough income, so I had to find some alternative means. And so my roommate, who had a way of talking me into doing all sorts of things, uh, talked me into selling plasma. I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, I'd go in once or twice a week to this plasma center. It was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They'd hook me up to the vampire machine. Um, and the whole process was about 45 minutes. 
how it worked is they'd, they'd draw out, you know, they hook you up to an IV, or they'd draw out a measure of, of blood, put it through a centrifuge, which separated the blood platelets from the plasma, the plasma being the liquid that your, your blood cells are carried in. Um, and then they would take out the plasma and, and keep it, and then they'd put those blood platelets back into you, and they'd kind of repeat the cycle uh, over and over and over again until they got you know, the desired amount of plasma for my weight class. And then at the end, they would put some saline solution back into me, and uh, it was room temperature, so it felt like ice going through my veins. It was kind of weird. And they'd patch me up, give me $20, and send me out the door. And looking around the room, uh, there were a lot of kids like me, college kids, a lot of people who didn't look like they had a job either were there. Now, and I, I, while I was doing this, I wasn't doing this for the research purposes. I wasn't doing it to benefit pharmaceuticals. Uh, I wasn't doing it for patients that might benefit from the research. I wasn't doing it because I liked it, because I didn't like it. I wasn't doing it because God wanted me to. I just did it for the money. All about the Benjamins. It was $20. I don't know what's on a 20 but it was all about the Benjamins. Even to this day, I, I remember the weird feeling of selling my body parts for money. When you put it like that, and then it sounds like prostitution. <laughs> but I suppose it's necessary to sell your body to make your dreams come true in this world, which is the definition of worship, right? Worship is that which you give yourself to as a living sacrifice. So if you want to make your dreams come true in Disney World, you got to sell your body to get there. This morning, our discussion is going to revolve around a prophet named Balaam. Balaam is an interesting person in the Bible. Uh, the story of him and, and his deeds are found in, in the books of the law, uh, in Numbers chapters 22 through 25. And when you, when you just kind of read through it, a cursory reading of the account concerning his affair with Israel, um, if you're like me and you're just reading through it, he seems like an okay guy. You know, he's just doing his job as a prophet. Uh, but later sections of scripture paint a picture of Balaam as being the epitome of a false prophet. We get some insight in the New Testament from the writers of Jude, uh, from Peter here, and from Jesus in Revelation even. We get some insight into who Balaam was. We also get some insight later on um, in the Old Testament too. So we're going to summarize the story. Um, I, I, what I wanted to do was read uh, chapters 22 through 25 of Balaam, but uh, I figured you guys would probably get up and leave, so uh, what I'm going to do is just summarize this story. So, so let's, set, let's put the setting in place here. You guys remember Moses? Moses, he'd just taken the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. They'd wandered around the desert for 40 years, was preparing the people to come into the promised land. They had some victories on the east side of the River Jordan. They defeated the Canaanites of Arad, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and also Israel avoided some confrontation with Edom and Moab. They went north, and now coming back down south, they were, about to, uh, uh, they were camped out preparing to cross over the Jordan and take Jericho. And you remember the story when the Israelites took Jericho, they marched around Jericho, with their trumpets, and God miraculously delivered Jericho into their hands. And so they're camped out um, by the Salt Sea on the east side of the Jordan River, 
some 600,000 men. Doesn't, that number doesn't include women and children. It's a seemingly indestructible force. God is with them. They're winning victories left and right. So Balak, king of Moab. So there's a difference. Balak and Balaam are different people. So uh, don't get those things confused. I'll probably refer to the king, Balak, as just the king. So from now on, the king of Moab. Along with the Midianites, became full of dread because of the great number of the Israelites and because of their victories. And, and great dread actually had fallen upon all the people of the land of Canaan. Now, he, he was full of dread, and he, he wasn't sure quite what to do. Perhaps what he should have done was sent a delegation to Israel to have some discussions, and he would have realized that God had previously prohibited Israel from attacking Moab, Moab because they were descendants of Lot. So if they just would have had a conversation, they could have resolved some of their issues right from the start. Um, I think that's a good lesson for us sometimes, right? Sometimes you just need to have a conversation, and you have all this, he's going to, in, the, in your heart there's a problem, and in, in you're in your playing out all the scenarios, and you're getting ready for war, and then you have a conversation, and there is no real problem. It was just all in your heart. It was all in your mind. And then you say, oh, well, that was much easier than what I had spent hours and hours dreaming up in my head, right? If he just had a conversation, he could have, um, he could have uh, avoided this whole issue. So the king decided to take the matter into his own hands, and he thought to himself, we can't beat these guys in battle. We can't beat these guys in battle, so we have to do something else. They got together with the Midianites. They hatched a plan. They thought, ah, there's this famous prophet. He's got a good track record. Uh, whoever he blesses is blessed. Whoever he curses is cursed. He lives north about 350 miles current day on the Euphrates River uh, near the border of uh, Turkey and Syria. About 350 miles north of where they were. So, the prophet Balaam. Let's hire him. Uh, give him the, the, the price for divination. Come down here. Curse Israel. Um, and that should be the way to go, and we should, be able, we should be able to take them then. So he sent some important people, scrounged up the price together for divination, everybody chipped in their part, and upon arrival at Balaam's place, uh, Balaam had them stay the night uh, and wait so that the Lord would speak to him concerning the matter, and God came to Balaam, told him not to go to Israel, because they could not be cursed, because they were already blessed. God already blessed them. They could not be cursed. So in the morning, they woke up. Balaam declined the offer and sent the de delegation home. You guys go home. Sounds like Balaam did the right thing, right? God spoke to him. Balaam listened, sent them home. But the king wouldn't have it. He sent another delegation. More important people this time. And a blank check to Balaam. Whatever you want. You set the price. Come down here. Balaam thought, well, let me, let me pray about it. <laughs> let me pray about it. I'm going to go ask the Lord, see if he changes his mind, right? Didn't, didn't the Lord say they were already blessed, right? So the Lord told him, if you want to go, he, he gave him permission, just go. But what, if you do go, don't say anything on your own. Doesn't, this, doesn't the Lord do this to us? If, uh, if we're if we're bent on doing something, if we really, really want to do something, and the Lord says no, 
And the next day we're like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to pray again. Lord, you, but I really, really want to do this. Can you say yes? And he gives us, he gives us permission sometimes to go off into sin so that he might teach us lessons and discipline us. So with permission, Balaam set out first thing in the morning. He's so excited. Got on his donkey and got, and got going, but God was really upset with him because though God would not curse Israel, God told them, told Balaam he was going to bless them. Balaam was eagerly anticipating getting paid for cursing them. He was eagerly anticipating uh, disobedience to God for pay. So the Lord was going to strike Balaam down, but each time the angel of the Lord that was sent to strike down Balaam, each, Balaam, each time the angel stood to oppose Balaam, his donkey saw the angel and maneuvered out of the way. And every time the, the donkey maneuvered out of the way, Balaam was so angry, he beat that donkey. He was angry, he was embarrassed, right? Because he was with this whole delegation of people. His donkey's behaving like a, you know, like a donkey, I guess. And he was so angry, he could have killed it. But the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. It's miraculous. And the donkey said, I've been your donkey all these years. Have I ever acted like this? I'm not like, this isn't my normal behavior. And then, so he opened the donkey's mouth, and then he opened Balaam's eyes, and, and he saw the angel. And he fell out his feet, and he, uh, he said, oh, I'm a sinner, if you want me to go back, then go back. And the angel, the angel said, no, you can keep going forward if you want, but just, can, just do what I say. So Balaam continued on, reached the meeting place with the king. They ascended with the king to, uh, up on a mountain to pronounce the curse over Israel. So on top of the mountain, they performed the sacrifice. Balaam practiced divination, which is um, deplorable in the eyes of the Lord. Practiced divination, went off by himself. God shows up to answer, which is interesting. Most of the time when people practice divination, it's not God who shows up. It's some different kind of spirit, and it's evil. But this time, for our sake, the Lord showed up. Balaam comes back, and uh, in the presence of the king and all the people there, he blesses Israel. And the king is upset and shocked. What's wrong with you? I didn't hire you to do this. Let's try a different mountain. This, maybe this mountain's not good enough. Let's do a different mountain. Maybe the Lord will change his mind. Kind of has the same mindset as Balaam, right? The prophet. Balaam goes, oh, maybe I'll pray again. Maybe the Lord will change his mind. The king here, let's try a different mountain. Maybe the Lord will change his mind. They go to another mountain, perform a sacrifice. Balaam does his divination. Goes off by himself. God shows up and answers. Balaam comes back. And blesses Israel again. The king says, you either curse them or you shut up. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. If you're not going to curse them, don't say anything. Let's try a different mountain. So they go to a third mountain. Perform a sacrifice. This time, Balaam said, didn't do any divination. He just looks out over Israel. And interestingly enough, the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he prophesies blessing. And he gets fired. The king fires him. <laughs> then Balaam proclaims four more prophecies of blessing for Israel and destruction for its enemies. Balaam packs up and they depart company. And after this disaster for the king of Moab, 
um, hiring this guy and doing the exact opposite. I mean, if I hired somebody to build my house and he started tearing it down and not building it up, I'd be upset too. But after this, he found a way to get Israel. The Moabite women set up a festival for worship to Baal, and they invited the Israelite men, and they sacrificed to idols, and they committed sexual immorality with the Moabite women. One of the Israelites even flaunted it. He brought a woman right through the middle of the camp. While the whole assembly was there, and they were weeping at the tent of meeting and praying and crying out to God, he walked her right in front of everybody, took her into his own tent. Then Phinehas, the, the, the grandson of Aaron the high priest, grabbed a spear, tracked him down, killed them both at once. Apparently, this also brought an end to a plague that had broken out, which had taken the lives of 24,000 people. And so thus ends the account of Balaam's involvement with Israel. Uh, and, it might seem, and it might seem like Balaam didn't have much to do with that last part, but we find later on that he does. But we do learn some lessons from Balaam. So this is basically the account of Balaam summarized for us. But we learn some lessons from Balaam. The lesson number one that we learn is that there is the way of Balaam. And the way of Balaam is worldliness. The way of Balaam is that he loved the wages of wickedness. I mean, God revealed to Balaam that he could not curse Israel because they were already blessed. And God doesn't change his mind. But Balaam was salivating over the king's reward. He saw the blank check. He saw the signing bonus was in front of him right there in front of his eyes. For him, the matter was already settled before he went to prayer. For him, the matter was, matter was already settled before he even asked God. So God permitted Balaam to go. Balaam was more concerned with the blank check. He was more concerned with earning a living than he was with pleasing God. So Balaam wandered off to collect some blood money. So why would Balaam do this? What would possess a man to oppose God so willingly? And the reality is that this is what Balaam treasured. This is what Balaam treasured. See, he loved the things this world had to offer, and he sold out for it. I mean, he, he heard God. He knew the things of, that God had to say. God spoke to him. So he, he had, ex, had an experience with God. He even had an experience with the Spirit of God falling upon him, but he would not be swayed. His mind was already made up because his heart was already set. As our Lord says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Balaam's treasure was not God or the things of God. So the life he lived before God was merely to please God just enough so that he could stay alive to get what he really wanted, his money. We think, ah, what a fool. And he was a fool. And it's hard to believe sometimes how he would do such a thing when it's written out right in front of us uh, until we hear the words of Jesus, he, he who is without sin casts the first stone, right? Then we realize that the, Balaam, the way of Balaam is the preferred way, the default way of man. This is the way we're born to think. We're born natural men. We're born sinners in, in a sinful world. We love to satisfy our flesh, to get out of the world that which pleases ourselves, this is who we are. This is the way we're, we're born. This is the life we come into. But when those who trust in Jesus Christ, when we're born again, we're born spiritual men. We think differently because we've been given a different mind. We've been given a different heart. We've been, been given a new spirit. 
we've been given a new treasure. So that which is highly esteemed among men in this world is detestable in God's eyes. The man who says, I'm a simple man, I don't require much in life. All I want is good food, good music, good movies, good coffee, good coffee, good company, is a man who through his very words declares himself to be a worldly man. This is scary, because who isn't like this, right? I don't need much in this life. I just want good food, good drink, good music, good coffee, good company. That's all I want in this life. It's worldly. This describes me and you more often than not, does it not? What makes this worldly is the fact that your goals, your treasures, your hopes lie in the temporary pleasures and satisfactions this world has to offer. But the man who's born again is not satisfied with the things of this world. Food becomes just food. Music sometimes is noise. Movies all have the same plot line. Coffee becomes an addiction. Company is predictable. Is this not what Jesus said? That in order to follow Jesus, you must hate your life. You must consider yourself dead. Pick up a cross and follow him. The man of God says, all I require in this world is Jesus. And he will give me the things that I need to live. There's a difference between the worldly man and the man of God. The spiritual man. The spiritual man has a new appetite. He has an appetite for prayer. Because like the psalmist wrote, he eagerly longs for God. Like the one who longs for water in a dry and parched land. Is this your longing? He fasts because he's not satisfied with food. He has a food that, that this world can't, can't offer him. He, he gives. He, he devotes himself to the word of God. He proclaims God's wonders. He enjoys God because he loves God and knows God. Are these your appetites? Are these your appetites? Are these the things you long for? Are these, are these the things you must do because everything else is, falls short in this life? See, often when we tackle things in our life, we start with a goal. We have a goal in mind, and then, and then we want to tackle it. What is the end goal? Then we plan accordingly and progress until the goal is done. So take, take for vacation, for example. If you want to get away to rest, you take a vacation. The goal is to get some rest. So you plan accordingly. You find out how much time you've accumulated off, you check schedules, um, you get approval, you pick the date, choose the destination, you make your travel arrangements, make sure your home and your bills are taken care of, get out of town, you're supposed to cut off communication, uh, and then you, you rest. And, and a wise person does this with all the big things in life. But I think we often cut ourselves short. We have five-year plans, 10-year plans, career plans, family plans, holiday plans, investment plans, retirement plans, dinner plans. We don't have eternal plans. Is this not the biggest event? It's appointed a man to live once and then face eternal judgment. Do you believe this? Does your life look like you believe this? Is this the, the way you arrange your life? Is this, is this what your appetites are drawn towards? 
you start with the goal in mind being eternity, what kind of lives ought you to live? Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that you know, that they know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And this knowledge isn't a distant theoretical knowledge, rather knowing God is hands-on, up-close, personal, intimate relationship with our God. The way of Balaam is to treasure this world and sell out for him. The way of, of Jesus is to treasure God and sell out for him. So, we see the way of Balaam is worldliness. But then we read that Balaam also taught some things. He had a doctrine, the doctrine of Balaam is a license to sin, like James Bond. Uh, without insight from Jesus, we might not realize that Numbers chapter 25, that had to do with the Moabite women and the Israelites committing immorality with them, we, we might not realize that this is a, di a direct result of Balaam's teaching. Remember that immediately after attempting the cursing on the mountaintops, Balaam sort of disappeared from the picture. It says that he went home. But then we hear about the destruction that happened in the Israelite camp. This temptation that overcame the men uh, and they dove in head first. The result, God bringing down a plague of judgment, his anger against the Israelites, bringing a, a death to a total of 24,000 people. I mean, did this just happen? Was it a stroke of luck for the king? Was it coincidence? Was Balaam involved? And Jesus tells us the following in Revelation 2.14 when he's speaking to the church in Pergamum. He says, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught the king to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. So we get the insight from Jesus himself, who was there, because he is God, that it was Balaam who was uh, the cause of chapter 25, the death of 24,000 Israelites. He, if he couldn't get the reward from the king through direct cursing, since he got fired for that, that job. Because God wouldn't allow it. He could, he could teach the king to send in women to tempt the men to commit the unthinkable sins, that God might judge in Israel, and in so do, doing, Balaam might get his reward. That is teaching the lie that it's permissible for saved people to live like unsaved people, as Warren Wiersbe says. There's Christians, there's churches, denominations, schools, organizations, governments today, that not only tolerate sexual immorality, but also approve of it as an acceptable form of life in this world. Maybe they consider themselves enlightened progressives, but they don't realize, they forget that God does not change. They're teaching uh, the doctrine of Balaam. They've moved beyond God's truth by revelation. They've moved beyond God's truth because somebody has revealed to them, somebody who masquerades as an angel of light, that there's a better way. 2 Corinthians 11:14 says Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So, enlightened progressives progressed from God's law with revelation from the one who masquerades as an angel of light. So, so it was no coincidence for Israel, just that it's no coincidence in the church today that there that you find sexual immorality. It didn't it doesn't just happen. It's not like an accident. The Moabites and the Midianites got together and hatched out this plan with Balaam at how to inflict injury on Israel. And they couldn't do it through direct cursing. Instead, they resorted to cunning and temptation. 
people in the church today, we don't merely fall into immorality. It's the craftiness of the enemy who seeks to destroy from the inside out, which is why the word says in 2 Corinthians, for we are not unaware of the Satan's schemes. And in another place, the Lord says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. They couldn't directly beat Israel, so they had to find a way to join them. The enemy, in the same way today, the enemy cannot destroy the church, for God has truly blessed us. But Satan can send agents, he can send doctrines to infiltrate the church by spreading these false teachings, promoting licentious living, by having us tolerate it as a pleasing and acceptable practice. Often the most effective way to destroy an enemy is through sabotage. And this is one of Satan's most common tactics against the people of God. So be on your guard. Oftentimes people who teach these things are ignorant, though some have malicious intent. But Jesus says to us, for, for, in, in considering those people who, who do this and who teach these things, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Luke 23, 24. So we must pray. We talked about what are our appetites earlier. So what are, what are we praying for? So this is one thing that we ought to be praying for. We don't, we don't pray in, just in reaction, but we, we pray in proaction too. We don't just pray when somebody falls into sin, but we pray beforehand that we might be protected from falling into sin, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray for purity. We pray for those who are wrapped up in immorality, but we pray that God would stretch his hand over us, that our people would not be deceived and fall into this temptation. We must pray. God doesn't desire us to live like slaves to immorality. Rather, through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and baptism, we've died to sin, putting off the old man and have become slaves of righteousness, free from the bondage of sin. He who has been set free is free indeed. God has destined those who are born again not to live an immoral life, but to live an eternal life, an eternal life with Jesus. So there was the way of Balaam, which is worldliness. There was the doctrine of Balaam, which was licensed to sin. Jesus gives us this insight. But there's also the error of Balaam. And the error of Balaam is in all these things, he thinks that there are no consequences. He thinks that there are no consequences for his action, or he doesn't, or he doesn't see it. And one of the tragedies of this life is that many people, many humans, carry on as if God neither sees nor hears. Maybe they don't believe God, or maybe they don't believe that he's a judge who sets a bar at perfection. How often we think, well, it's a little sin. It won't really hurt anybody. It's wrong, but it's what I want. Besides, I did something nice earlier today, right? I should go treat yourself, right? I should treat myself. And God knows my heart. He knows that I'm a pretty much a good person. I'm saved, so what does it matter? Uh, listen here to the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 12, 2 through 5 says, There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roof. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after it can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Balaam should have known better. He had direct interactions with the Lord. He met God. He heard his voice. He saw the angel of the Lord. He even experienced a taste of his spirit. 
Even still, he refused. He had a greater knowledge of God than the ignorant. And because he, he was revealed to him much more, then much more is also was, was expected of Balaam. But he deliberately turned his back on God by opposing his will for the sake of money. Recall, even, I even think, you know, Balaam, his eyes were open. He saw the angel of the Lord. He, he prostrated himself and proclaimed himself a sinner. But that wasn't enough because he didn't repent. He kept going. He just kept going. Right? Repentance is do a 180 and turn around. But he kept going. It's like, it's like Cain, like, like Pharaoh, like Judas Iscariot. Right? They all proclaim themselves sinners that they've transgressed against God. But they kept going. Right? Acknowledging sin without dealing with it gets you nowhere. Repentance is the start, turning around. But Balaam kept moving forward in his sin. What short-sightedness he had. What a tragedy. Because his sin manifests both in his life on earth and in the life to come. And I tell you guys, brothers and sisters, that those secret sins will manifest in this life and in the life to come. And in the end, Balaam's error got the best of him. He did not realize that a man reaps what he sows, right? You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. So God executed judgment on him. In Joshua 13, 22, we hear in, in the accounts of some of the battles that took place on the east uh, when, when Moses and his men had defeated the, the Midianites. It says, in addition to those slain in battle, the Israelites had put to the sword Balaam, son of Beor, who practiced divination. So Balaam ended up not ever getting back to go home. He ended up dying with the Midianites in battle, put to the sword. God executed judgment on him. Note the, the practice of divination, if you're not familiar with it, calling on spirits to garner favor. We think of it magic, witchcraft, horoscopes, channeling, Ouija boards, etc. It's actually more common today than many might expect, and it's extremely dangerous. Um, some people think that that's a radical thing to say. Drew, you're being too hard. You know, kids play with it. It's just fun stuff. Um, well, interestingly enough, those who practice such things in the law were executed. And the reason God instructed Israel to exact execution for certain crimes was because the nature of those crimes were so great that it would spread like a plague and undermine society, turning hearts from life to death. As I said, a little yeast leavens the whole batch. So you cut out the leaven or you compromise the bread. You cut out the sinner or you compromise the community. That was the idea uh, back in the time of the law. So young people today think that dealing with the occult is just having fun. Adults think that uh, maybe doing the horoscope, they gain good information or they feel kind of good about the day. Um, even it's, it's common in our entertainment movies, TV shows. But what you entertain with your eyes, you also entertain with your heart and your mind and your soul. Eventually it becomes tolerable, permissible, normal, and then an acceptable way of life. This is the divination, this is the things that uh, Balaam was involved in. But coming back to him, not only did he receive his due in this earthly life, but he's to this very day remembered as a wicked man who opposed God for selfish profit. He's the topic of discussion today, 3,500 years later. And it's not a good thing, right? So we see because God opposed him, his, and because Balaam opposed God and, and his people, we can be assured that he's assigned a place in eternity with Cain, Judas Iscariot, Korah, who was a rebel, and the rest of the ungodly. 
Second Peter chapter 2, if we continue going, you know, we read 15 and 16, but 17 through 22 says, these people, people like Balaam, are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the, tr- the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. The good news of Jesus Christ is that if we have committed error, if we've lived a life of error, you know, today is the day of salvation. If, if formerly we discarded God, merely acknowledged his existence, today can be the day of change or the day of repentance. The reason God gives us time, the reason he's so patient with all men is that we might be saved from those sins, saved from our errors. Through the blood of Christ, God has washed us of our sins. Our errors have been whited out. Mistakes dropped from the scoring card. Those who are born again have been proclaimed clean, have a righteous standing with God, and a place with him for eternity. And this eternal life starts showing itself, manifesting itself here and now as the first fruits of the promised life to come. Seal of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Taught God takes up residence with you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's free, and it's free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam is the treasure, to treasure this world, its worldliness. But the way of the man of God, the way of Jesus, is to treasure God above all things and live accordingly. The doctrine of Balaam is to promote immoral living. The doctrine of Jesus promotes eternal living, knowing God with, with him in your heart, and, you, and it starts manifesting itself in this life now. And the error of Balaam is believing that there are no consequences. But the good news of Jesus is that he erases our errors and our consequences when we repent and turn to trust in him. Amen? May we not live like Balaam this week. Sort of a warning. I feel like I'm always giving warnings. I have to do a nice sermon one of these days. But it's good, right? Wounds from a brother are good for us. Iron sharpens iron. Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, for your word um, given to us uh, through Peter here, uh, the apostle who often stuck his foot in his mouth. And we heard from a, a donkey earlier today. And thank you, God, for even using me this morning. Uh, to speak. We pray, God, that you would encourage and build up and strengthen your church by your spirit, God, um, that we would give testimony, God, to the good things that you do in our lives, Lord, that we would be light in this community, God, that you would move throughout Spokane, Lord Jesus, and draw more and more people into salvation, God. I pray, Lord, that you would increase our appetite, God, for you and your things, God, that we would earnestly long for you, that we would desire you, God, that we would, we would be thirsty for you, God, more than anything else in this world, that we would hunger for you, God, more than anything else in this world, God, that your will would be our will, God, that we would pray your kingdom come and not our wills be done, but yours, God, in heaven. And so, God, I pray, Lord, these things, and I pray, God, that we would be a church that is pure, God, and holy from sexual immorality, God, those of us who have been, been dealing with these things and caught up in these things, God, that we might 
confess them to you, God, and receive healing and forgiveness, Lord Jesus, and know that you are kind and loving and want to lead us into repentance, Lord, that we might not continue forward in those ways, God, but that we would receive your forgiveness and move forward in holiness, God. And we pray, God, that we would not live life like there's no consequences, God, but that we would know that you exist and that you, are, you reward those who earnestly seek you. So we thank you, God, for your truth and your kindness. and pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We have... Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we have communion up here. Uh, every week we come together, uh, and as we worship and sing, we also take part in uh, proclaiming the, the body and the, and the blood of Jesus, his death, his crucifixion on the cross. This is something that's for Christians, for us, that we proclaim him. If you're not a Christian, we invite you not to drink or eat the blood because you're going to be judging yourself because you're proclaiming the death of, death of Christ. So take, some, take a moment to pray, seek God's face, spend some quiet with the Lord, and then come join us as we, as we realize that his body is our sustenance and his blood is our forgiveness. And it is good.